Hi everybody, this is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined by sports dietitian and internationally recognized expert in keen anthropometry, Francis Hallway. This is the second episode in a three-part series with Francis. Previously, we discussed how to accurately measure body composition, why BMI is misleading, and the importance of muscle mass for health. In this episode, we're discussing Francis's work in leveraging keen anthropometry for talent identification for sports. Parents, take note, as this may explain a few things, and we discuss how to estimate your capacity for muscle hypertrophy. Again, this was a fascinating conversation, and I am so excited to share it with you. But before we get started, if you are a regular listener of the Blueprint Podcast, please take a moment to support the show by hitting the subscribe button on whichever listening platform you are joining us from. And if you listen on Apple, please leave us a comment and review as this helps us reach more people on Apple's platform. But now it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Francis, thank you for coming back and joining us. Last time we talked about anthropometry. We talked about different tools we can use to measure the human body. And I'm really excited about talking about this because I'm a parent of three boys. Um, I used to work in elite sport. My wife was a world-class athlete. Um, and now I have some kids that are, you know, growing up and doing sports. How does measuring and understanding somebody's bone structure, how does that apply to their potential in different types of sports? Um, I've heard you talk about this, this in the past, and I would love for you to take a little bit of a deep dive on this. That's an excellent question. There are several aspects of performance, of course, uh, your, your, your willingness, your drive, your capacity to... Let, so I'm just going to concentrate on the um, physical aspects, biomechanical aspects. So bone structure provides basically uh, proportions, body proportions, and everybody knows that swimmers have long arms, okay? That marathon runners have a short trunk and relative long legs. So there are, there are two aspects to the bone structure as I mentioned. One is the biomechanical advantage it can give you or disadvantage. The other one is the physiological soft tissue framework that it can hold. Mm. So physiology and biomechanics are both important aspects of performance. So in the biomechanics side, if you have long legs, narrow hips, and a short trunk, you have an advantage when running and jumping. If you have a long trunk, short legs, you have an advantage in say, weightlifting, wrestling, uh, judo, jiu-jitsu, grappling sports. In general, there are always exceptions to the rule. Right. Okay? <laughs> so, now, if you have short arms, you might notice this in the gym. If you have short arms, you, you'll be very good in pressing movements, bench press and military press, and right. also in the clean and jerk. If you have long arms, you'll have more difficulty because you have a greater distance, so you have to apply more force. But Perhaps you're better at doing deadlifts because your arms are longer and you can reach the ground or reach the bar without bending your back too much or your knees too much. So you have a leverage advantage. Now, that's interesting in a powerlifting competition where they do squats, deadlifts, and bench presses. 
because whoever has an advantage in deadlift has a disadvantage in, in bench pressing. Now, in regards to sports, these measures, these proportions, you're born with them. You're born with them. They change slightly or significantly during adolescence, during the growth spurt. That's when your legs grow faster than your trunk before you reach your peak height velocity. After your peak height velocity, which I call the ostrich stage because your center of gravity raises and you add less, you, you. But um, afterwards, your trunk grows faster than your legs until huh. you finish growing. So take away that growth spurt period. Basically, your body proportions can remain the same and you can do talent identification uh, before age nine or 10. And then you can do it again after the growth spurt. So, so people with long arms will be probably be better and height will probably be better at basketball, volleyball, handball, uh, soccer goalkeepers, and some positions in American football, like uh, receivers, which are basically sprinters with, with some more muscle in their upper body. Left uh, tackle. They're incredible athletes. Wide receivers and defensive backs are incredible athletes. Oh, yeah. And um, a lot of them, I think, could make the Olympic team for, for sprinting or, or jumping. And then, of course, you have swimmer. swimmers are a strange case. Why? Because you need long arms, you need height, but you need short legs. And it's not very common, and you need a long trunk. You have to be like a surfboard with long paddles. So you have short legs as a swimmer? Elite swimmer? It's an advantage for yeah. swimmers because yeah. you're in a horizontal position in the water and your center of gravity has to match your center of buoyancy, the force that the water is doing up. So the more they are aligned, the more you are horizontal in the water and the less, the less turbulence you create huh. and the faster you can go. Because speed in the water is a combination of your driving force and your drag. And sometimes your drag is a more important factor than your force. So it's not it's not a question of having big hands, big feet, and you know wide shoulders and long arms. It's also a question of having narrower hips, shorter legs, so that you're more buoyant in the horizontal position. You spend less energy. So you have someone like Phelps, who uh, not to take away from his capacity for effort and his training methods. And, and, and his will to win and his shoulder flexibility and, and, and everything that we know about him, but um, his, namely his diet. <laughs> but, um, but he happens to have these proportions, these shorter legs, longer trunk and long arms. Huh, that is super so for interesting. Example, yeah, so that's a strange combination to have. And when it happens, you, you, have, a, you, get, you have a medal winner. So let me ask you this. What about like sports like baseball, where you have infielders versus outfielders versus pitchers? Are there commonalities amongst pitchers or people that play baseball? I know you, so from what I've heard, you have a massive data set of all sorts of sports from people all over the world. Like how many people have y'all measured? I don't know exactly, Eric, but I've been measuring elite athletes since 1996, roughly. Wow. So at, at Olympics, and I haven't measured too many baseball players. So I'm okay. drawing, I'm drawing, I'm 
drawing inference on, I'd love to, I think it's a fascinating sport. Uh, I'm drawing inference on uh, the data that some of my colleagues have picked up. Mm-hmm. Now, you have very different positions there. The, the, out, the, the outfielders are different from the infielders and they're different from the main batters. Mm-hmm. Okay, for batters you need a power. You need power. You need rotational power, and for rotational power you need the same thing that throwing athletes need, that discus throwers, that javelin throwers, or, or, or shot put throwers need. You need ideally wide hips and wide hips because you're doing a rotational powerful movement. For example, wide hips is the worst thing you can have when you're running hurdles. Because when you go over a hurdle, you when you go over a hurdle, you're doing this rotation, this hip rotation, because one leg is on top of the other. And if your hips are too wide, you have a very strong force that will try and throw you on, you know, yeah, on the next uh, running down lane. the running lane. Yeah. Yeah. So you notice that people with narrow hips, short trunks, long legs are very good for hurdles, mm-hmm. and you perhaps need the opposite for. Uh, baseball batting that's a rotational power movement Hmm. now that's from a strict biomechanic point right in fact there are more important factors in baseball that are non that are non-anthropometric like for example your vision i was about to say 10 20 vision it's number one so if you have that you know if you can see the ball (laughs) you know you hit it (laughs) there you go i have a friend who um he used to run the Nike Sports Vision Lab, and they said they did a bunch of research on pro baseball players. And um, the average Major League Baseball player that hit over 300 could see 2015 or better. And most of the time, like the, our our ability to measure vision is just terrible. The Snell and I chart was developed in the Civil War, so that's a whole other story for another day. Wow. Well, let's talk about hypertrophy for a second. Are okay. there limits? based off of your bone structure or mass to how much muscle you can put on. And I'm going to put this caveat in there naturally. (laughs) Um, Yes, that's what, that's what part of my research has found. There are many factors involved in hypertrophy, nutritional, genetic, cellular factors, cellular signal, signaling factors, uh, exercise, but we have found systematically, notwithstanding all these uh, biochemical and physiological factors and genetic factors, that bone structure has a lot to do with your capacity for maximal hypertrophy. Or how much muscle you can put on depends a lot on the size of your bone breadth or your bone structure. We have collected enough data to find that the behavior of hypertrophy, muscle hypertrophy, has quite a very strong correlation with the size of your skeleton. Is there a ratio there of like... Yes, there are definite... We have found averages for normal populations around 4.2 pounds of muscle for every pound of skeleton, 4.2 for males and 3.5 for females. Hmm. We have found lower thresholds, lower cutoff points of 3.8 for men and 3.0 for women. And we have um, found upper upper thresholds of 5.2 for males 
and 4.5 for females. And we have found that for African-Americans or Africans, they, they, can, they can increase up to 5.5, 5.7 in males and up to 4.9, 5.0 in females. And that's mainly because they, they generally have narrower hips. So that brings down the whole calculation of the weight of the skeleton. They have a very good capacity for hypertrophy, uh, especially I'm talking about Western Africa and the people that have come from there. Not, I'm not really talking about uh, Kenyan or Ethiopian or Moroccan uh, distance runners. Right. A lot of Western Africans are phenomenal sprinters too. Yes. Um, yes. I think phenomenal you, sprinters. If you look at 100 meter times, you know, there's certain parts of the world where uh, that, that there's a strong correlation to that. That is really fascinating. So if your skeleton is bigger, I'm sure that there's, there's probably professional teams that were hypertrophy, muscle hypertrophy. I'm just thinking football. I would think as an American football, you know, coach, if I'm trying to find offense or defensive linemen or linebackers, it'd be really important to understand uh, their skeletal structure to see, especially in recruiting in high school or in, in the NFL, like, Hey, is this person really maxed out? Are they, have they reached, are they even close to their potential? And then are there reasonable growth rates that you can expect? Like let's, if, so let's say somebody has not reached their potential from a hypertrophy standpoint, uh, what have you found to be a reasonable expectation for growth over like, say, you know, year over year, and let's say in the 18 to 22 year range? Okay, you, you bring up some very interesting points. When, when I started working with Great Iron American Football uh -huh. uh, three years ago, I, I didn't know too much about it except that I liked the sport and I went to the games when I was in college in the States. But um, with uh, Dr. Aaron Wellman, and, uh, we started looking at this and we found that, yes, you need people in the linemen, you need people with a very large bone structure, abnormally large bone structure that can hold a lot of muscle mass and they're pretty tall as well. Now, we also found that some of the people that were being chosen were based on height and weight, and they did not take into consideration the bone structure to see how much muscle they can put on. And, how, and, and so some of the players, they had the height and weight proportions, but they would have 20 to 30 more pounds of fat than another player that had a bigger bone structure and was able to carry more muscle mass. Now, in the offensive linemen, as you've said, there, you need to have, because of the isomet isometrics, like you, you correctly mentioned, it's in a way a little bit like sumo wrestling that you need to be, as, you need to be a certain weight. Now, this weight is beyond the mass maximal capacity of these people to hypertrophy. So you have to add uh, 30 pounds of, of fat because that benefits your offense line in certain positions. Now, if you have two players, one that can reach that weight with only 30 pounds of fat and another one that needs 50 pounds of fat, who are you going to choose? 30 pounds. That's the fat. idea. Yeah. That in theory. Then, of course, there are other skill capacities. We have also, I have also found that some, some of these athletes that 
don't have the right bone structure to put on all that muscle mass, because they have a lighter bone structure, they're faster. And that gives them an advantage, especially in the defensive line. So that's interesting too, and we must take that into consideration. Now, how much more muscle can they put on? Well, looking at data on, on not only on, on college football players, but also on rugby players and natural bodybuilders, when they get to be the freshman year, when they're 18 to 19, that's it. that year they increase, they increase a lot of muscle mass and strength. And um, afterwards, the next three years of college, they don't increase that muscle mass all that much. And the difference between, say, senior players and professional players in the NFL is really quite little. They're very similar. Mm. So with this in mind, we, we measured 309 players at the last combine in Indianapolis uh, to get a very good idea of, uh, of standards and bone structure and muscle mass and what their muscle to bone ratios were. Um, so, so it has been, it's, American football is fascinating because the positional roles are so, so different that you need people that are so different or that need to increase so much muscle. And that is absolutely fascinating. The other fascinating aspect is analyzing, um, this was a hypothesis that Aaron Wellman came to, came about, and it's still a hypothesis. He started suspecting that wide receivers had too much muscle, were too hypertrophied for their position. Mm. So he started trying to get them to lose four or five pounds of muscle. They're always lean, so not, not being so big, so hypertrophied. And he found that by diminishing their muscle-to-bone ratio a little bit, they felt better, they could run faster, and they had less injury incidents. 100%. Now, we only have a few case studies. We, this is... This, this is, is though, but this, is, this plays out with sprinters too. I mean, I worked with elite sprinters for 14 years and if you over hypertrophy a sprinter, yeah, and it's that's the problem with with sports is, and I can just say this in the physical preparation domain in American football is a one size fits all approach. Everybody needs to be bigger, stronger, faster, instead of saying, well, what feeds the engine on a on a wide receiver, the central nervous system. And they don't need very much exposure to weights to even add muscle because they're, especially if they sprint first, they're activating the central nervous system to such a high degree. When they go lift, the volume can be considerably less and they will still get bigger. It's a, but yeah, this is super interesting. I'm really excited to see, first of all, measuring 300 people at the combine. That was, those that were was long days. That was were long days. I guarantee yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the dark were. hole of it, the Indianapolis, uh, Cold stadium. Uh, it's, yeah, uh, to me, it was an honor and mm. a lifetime achievement. And wow. I'm really thankful for the people, the directors at the NFL and the athletes and the collaborators. They were all very, very, very nice and very helpful. And I hope that this research uh, that's only scratched the surface can help athletes and scouts and, and strength and conditioning coaches and dietitians. But um, you, if you work with that with with sprinters, um, this this hypothesis that Aaron developed came about because 
I didn't know, I had no data on American football. And I said, okay, look, let's study the positional roles. These guys mm -hmm. look like throwers. These guys look like sprinters. Sprinters, throwers have a 5.2, 5.5 muscle to bone ratio. They're maxed out. Sprinters have a 4.5. They're not maxed out. Right. So, so then they, they said, okay, but they do have some type of physical contact. They do need some strength, some more hypertrophy than a sprinter that has no contact. However, maybe we've gone overboard in some cases and hypertrophy them too much. 100%. So that's how this hypothesis came about. But it just scratches the surface on, you know, how interesting not only the sport is for talent identification, for player development, but also for injury prevention. And the, 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 the main issue is not how not to max out, but how to optimize the muscle mass according to your, your sport, your playing position, and your individual skeleton. Mm. That, that's the idea that we're working off, integrating nutrition and training uh, uh, to achieve that. I know there's a lot of coaches that listen to this podcast. Um, you and Aaron now have a company called Horizon Performance, H-O-R-Y-Z-E-N Performance. And we will make sure to put a link in the show notes. If I was still in college or pro sports, I would be bothering you to come measure my team because I think that there is still a lot to be now that we have, there's a lot of money now in college athletics for nutrition, for psychological mm -hmm. interventions, for measuring different biological states, but there's nothing more important than selecting the people that come in because I don't care how good your development program is. If you're not selecting the right people, you have no shot. And so now that we have more data from you guys, I think it would be of immense value. So I will make sure to put that in the show notes. And in our next conversation, I want to talk a little bit more about adiposity, hormones, and lifespan. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, this is just, I'm not saying this is the solution. I'm just saying this is another piece of the puzzle in a very complex scenario. And I hope that this information can add value to the overall decision. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you love this episode, please take a screenshot on your phone and post it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you post stuff. And please be sure to tag me and tell me why you like this episode and what you'd like to hear more of in the future so I know what content to make for you. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.